Hi there, I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of Live Healthy, and this is the Live Healthy podcast. Each week we interview health and wellness leaders and talk about all the things that are good for you, which you can also read about in our online magazine, the only one of its kind for men and women in the UAE. And now, here's this week's guest. Today on the Live Healthy podcast, we have Natalie Banks. She's founder of Azraq, that's the Arabic word for blue, um, a nonprofit marine conservation organization based in the UAE, founded in 2018 under the guidance of the Community Development Authority. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you so much, Anne-Marie. It's such a treat to be speaking with you today. We've sort of danced around each other for quite a few years while I've written about this stuff, when I used to write about it a lot more. Um, yeah, you sort of accomplished the a, a major task by setting the, up this organization, didn't you? Like, I don't think people quite realize what you accomplished. Uh, absolutely. It, it has its challenges, but I always say if something was easy, everyone would be doing it. So, yeah, um, exactly. it definitely, yeah it definitely had its challenges. And, and, you know, in hindsight, I'm probably glad I didn't know how challenging it was going to be when I first started because I'm not too sure I would have gone down the avenue. So So you moved here with your husband and you did you did you do an organization like this in Australia? Is that how it worked? Okay, so what happened back here? Yeah, so I I started uh, in Australia really when I was started really focusing on marine conservation. Um, I sort of uh, really was doubt delving into the shark conservation movement and I got into that because I'm a scuba diver and a scuba diver instructor and the, the the city and the well Perth and the state Western Australia were looking at that time that where I lived at bringing in a policy that killed sharks as a way of protecting beach users which I was completely and adamantly as a scuba diver um, against uh, I felt as though instinctively it wasn't it wasn't the right thing to do that we needed to kill something in order to protect something um, and and as it happened the more I, I sort of researched it the more I realized that history was on our side that they had tried to do something very similar in Hawaii and it and it hadn't worked um, and science was also on our side. So there's a huge amount of the science community that spoke out against this policy when it was uh, sort of bandied across the, the news, newspapers. Um, and it just got, I don't know, it just got under my skin that this is something that they were looking at introducing. And so much so that I sort of, you know, put all of my energy into trying to stop this policy from, from rolling out. We held rallies and all sorts of things. I ended up starting a charity called No Shark Cull in, okay. in Australia. And so, so the rest is history. I, I basically was there focusing on that in Australia. I, I was in my third year um, focusing on the removal of lethal shark measures across the whole of Australia, not just in Western Australia. We actually won. We actually won in Western Australia. And I started focusing on the eastern suburbs of, of Australia. Uh, and when my husband let me know that he had been given a job opportunity in Dubai. And mm-hmm. so I ended up eventually, I, in my first year of being in Dubai, folding up the charity because I couldn't be there to, to manage it anymore. 
Uh, and I just realized even though my heart was there, it just wasn't going to be viable for me living in another country. Um, and, uh, you know, after four months of trying to find work in this space, I just was got, I got to the stage of just pure frustration of not being busy. I'm, I'm, I absolutely love being busy. I have to be doing something. And, um, and I was sending out, you know, requests for interviews and applications and, and trying to phone people and even going to the offices and knocking on doors you know, personally, as a new person to the brand new city, and uh, just not getting anywhere. And it just got to the point where in exasperation, I, I had a phone call with my mother. And I just said, I've, I've just got to do something. And she said, why don't you just do what you did in Australia and start your own? Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> 12 months later, Azraq was born, but it took 12 months. And that was a process. It definitely is very different to starting up a charity here than what it is in Australia or a not-for-profit. We're not a charity. We're a not-for-profit. Yeah, the structure would be different. And you wouldn't have the contacts. Um, yeah, the, the thing that went against me was I had zero networks. So um, I had not had the connections with, you know, and, and as they say, Wasta here, I didn't really have the... The people that I could sort of rely on and talk to who I knew in this space, I was really green, really, really, really green. But we got well, there. In you, the of course. Yeah. Is there one, is there something that you think, oh, I wish, well, I'm sure there's a, a bunch of things, but is there something that you wish you knew setting out? Uh, absolutely. I wish I had found someone who had done this previously and then sort of chewed on their ear before setting up. And that was why I wanted to work in this space first. I didn't want to jump into a brand new region not really know anybody and not really understand how things operate here, which is what I ended up doing. <laughs> um, and, uh, but yeah, so as they say, hindsight is twenty twenty vision, but you know, I really have no regrets. I think had I have had those conversations, maybe I would have been deterred from doing yeah. what we did. And I think, you know, as, um, as we progress into now our fourth year, we've got a lot to be proud of. That's what I was going to ask you, like, before we talk about the enormity of what needs to be done, what, what are wins? Like, what are the concrete things you've, you can say that you've achieved, yeah. achieved? So the first win was definitely our Stop Sucking campaign, which we, we rolled out. It was the first campaign we rolled out, actually, with Freedom Pizza. And yep. we carried on with that for 12 months. And we got over 55 outlets to sign up to say they would not provide plastic straws or provide them only if people asked for them. So that was definitely, so we stopped millions of stores because we had Jumeirah Restaurant Group and Gates Hospitality and all the restaurants under those chains actually no sign up. It, right? Like no one was doing it before that. No one no, was doing it. And then yeah. it just swept. Like once you guys started, you could just see it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so that was something I'm very proud of. The useless utensils campaign where we, we collected over 68 um, kilos of utensils in six weeks and then gave them to schools that are our partner schools, which they did artwork uh, on in regards to raising the awareness of um, plastic in our oceans. And then probably stopping the um, 15,000 balloons that were going to be released in Rasalkaima as part of a, a festival. So those are some really amazing um, achievements. And I'd say lastly, our Youth Ambassadors campaign, where we've got now 15 youth ambassadors aged between 10 and 18, helping us to direct the future of ASRAC and, and having a say in our operations. And as a matter of fact, our most recent campaign, the Reef Rescue, 
which is all about coral reefs and protecting coral reefs and surveying in the local community. That's all because the youth actually called on us to do something about reefs in this country. Okay, so they brought the issue to you. Is yeah. it challenging for you when you had the single focus on shark, the shark calling in Australia to like, you know, you're basically the whole problem with the ocean is now your remit. How, how, do, you, <laughs> how do you feel that? So, so it, it, I didn't find it challenging. What I knew I had to do was take small bites first. I was already starting to look at the issue of marine debris as a diver and also too, I was working in, for a marine conservation organisation in Australia as well. Um, and so that was definitely one of the first campaigns we wanted to focus on here because I, I wanted to build up the networks and build up those people that I didn't have the, the familiarity with to get ASRAC to that point of sustainability, not just in what we do, but as in longevity. Um, and so the only way that I thought we could do that is not to rock the boat, as some people may have done, but to actually go in and say, this is what we can do. And if we focus on the problem of marine debris, very few people would see that as a negative, where if I was to say, let's protect the sharks, you know, um, it's a very divisive issue shark yeah. protection because yeah. either people yeah. love them or hate them so well yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they create a lot of fear in people where cleaning up rubbish is something that most people will go oh that's a great great initiative okay. yeah okay and the beach cleanups i mean i think any every single person who lives here should go on a beach cleanup to just see but what do are beach cleanups more about raising awareness or do they actually do anything like if you had said beach cleanups every day would you be changing anything like I don't know or is it just to see what the ocean kicks up with your own eyes so it's twofold if we were to go out there every single day we have to we have to do two things we have to stop it at the source from going into the, our land and into the natural environment and we have to remove it so an element of it is definitely the removal. However, the impact of that removal is definitely more about the awareness. Um, what I really like about uh, the UAE is the diversity across the Emirates. Where in Dubai they are cleaning their beaches regularly due to tourism, what's often left behind is microplastics. And we often find, which is one of the campaigns we focused on this, was cigarette butts. Yes. Um, and that's a huge eye-opener. Even I was shocked about the amount of cigarette butts that I found on our beaches um, in their thousands because they, they mix in with the colour of the sand. Um, right. And okay. the, the filters that are left after a cigarette smoker has finished smoking is made out of what's called cellulose acetate. And it takes decades for that material to actually break down. And that's what it does. It breaks down. And if there's anything left of the cigarette itself, it's actually leaching all these toxins into that marine environment. So arsenic and lead and nicotine is all going into our environments, whether it be the, the land, which is where we obviously plant to, to grow food, or it's the marine environment, which we obviously are reliant on for our breath, for water, our own water consumption, yeah. because particularly yeah. here in this country, they rely on desalinated plants, yeah. desalinated water. And that's our recreational playground. And yet we've got all these chemicals in it. So, yeah. The, the impact on the food chain is so scary to me. Like I had a poke bowl for lunch and as I was eating it, I was thinking this salmon, like in the last two or, two or three years when I eat it, I think 
this probably is bad for me. I'm, I'm actually just going ahead and having it, but I would have thought this was a nutritious part of my lunch. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Because yeah. yeah. This is something that bothers me too. And I've tried to do everything I can to try and avoid um, having microplastics in whatever I consume. But the reality is no heart, no, no, the reality is, is no, no matter how much we try to actually uh, avoid these microplastics in our food, they, microplastics are now everywhere. So, um, so in, in terms of the salmon, so this is something that's really bothered me for a long time. So I've actually gone vegan and then I've gone vegetarian and, and I've tried to accommodate because of this massive issue. I know oh. too much. I know too much. Um, so where, with the microplastics and our microplastics in, in the oceans themselves come from two main resources, um, the fishing industry and they, they, they're abandoned fishing nets. And funnily enough, and most people don't realize this, from our clothing, so from synthetic fibers. So our filtering. From washing them? From washing them? Sorry. From washing them. Our, filter, our filters in our laundries and in our, in our sewage plants aren't um, good enough, for want of a better word, to actually filter out the tiny microplastics that come off uh, and shred off our clothes whenever we are wearing synthetic fibers. And so polyester is a product that most people know about, but most people don't actually put the poly and plastic as a connection. Because um, what they're wearing is when you're wearing polyester is actually plastic threads. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're on a constant battle when it comes to marine conservation. There's so many issues we can focus on, but uh, the, the issue of the, the plastics in our waters, in microplastics, is a massive issue right now because that's the biggest issue that the oceans have currently. And technology isn't yet advanced enough to deal with that problem. So we've right. got- It's just like so ubiquitous. It's so, yeah, okay. Okay, so I'm two parts to that question. I'm curious, I'm curious what we can do to stop micro, okay, to stop us contributing microplastics. That's my first part. Yeah. So, so uh, microplastics also, sorry, I should say microplastics also come from the, the macroplastics breaking down. So that's the other, that's the third way. So in terms of the clothing, there are three currently uh, items on the market that are available. One's called a Cora ball, which collects the microfibers in, in your washing machine itself. Cora, Cora ball. C-O-R-A, as in Cora without the L to spell coral, Corable. Then you've got what's called a guppy friend. So guppy as in fish, guppy friend wash bag. And that collects the microfibers in the bag itself. And then you've got microplastic filters that you can actually purchase and put into your own washing machine. Why these aren't already in from the industry I have no idea. It shouldn't really be up to us constantly to battle no. this. I've so, never, okay, I pay attention to this stuff and I have never heard of any of these. And I'm not saying I'm like, I know everything, but I would think that I might've heard of one. I think, I think when you were talking, I was like, okay, I think you can get a filter, but that's yeah. not very, yeah. Okay. So you can do those three things, a Cora ball, the bag, the guppy bag. Friend. Guppy friend wash bag and then the microfilters themselves. Can you get the filter from UAE? 
these, no, you have to bring them out. We're actually in the process now of trying to see what we can do to either encourage universities to undertake a competition and do something wow. similar. Yep. Because um, uh, this is our next campaign. We're focusing on this currently right now. Right now we're focusing okay. on this. Yeah. Um, up, this is what you're doing next. Amazing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love being, <laughs> that's just a, that's just a, but you are still getting it before we've released it we're telling people before we're doing it but okay. we're working on it right Fitting. now and okay. um and so we're hopefully we're going hopefully through that campaign raise the awareness that these things exist that's the that's one of the major key elements of it other things are choosing natural fibers over synthetic fibers so your linens and your silks and 100% organic cotton and, and those types of materials over and above. Wool, wool. Okay. Although wool is great for you at your environment. Bamboo. Yeah. But bamboo has its own issues. It's one of those questionable ones because of the way it's made. So it's the human impacts on uh, bamboo. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand why people don't like to pay attention because it's, it's so frustrating to like find right like you know you think you find a solution to me whenever I see something being really touted I think there's going to be a problem with that like there's gonna <laughs> there can't be a material that's just wonderful and has no problems with it usually if it's yeah, mass I mean we are going to have an impact one way or the other the, the, I mean just by breathing and and so, and living you know we're going to have an impact what we try to do is try and reduce it or try and overcome it like planting the, the mangroves which is what we do in azrak right for yeah. carbon sequestering. okay we're going to go into that but um in your own personal life what do you do to try and keep microplastics out of your system so um i re really do not have fish at all so i stopped having fish completely even though i know it's great for omega-3 um, but I mean, so I thought I was doing something wonderful. And then I read, uh, that foods in our land, uh, it's in, it's being fed to uh, our animals. So even if you might choose to, to eat, uh, red meat, for example, or chickens or whatever, what they're, what they're consuming, they're also consuming microplastics as well. And sadly now it's even in our air. So as much as I'd love to try and say I can avoid it, I cannot, and neither can anybody else. What we're, all we can do is try and reduce our single-use plastic use. To try, because when we go and do cleanups, well, what we're finding is mainly, and it's the basics, the single-use plastic bags, the single-use plastic bottles, um, the caps that go onto the bottles, the plastic straws and utensils. It's, it's what everybody already knows, and they already know that they need to focus on reducing it. That's why countries are now banning single-use plastic. So... This isn't this isn't rocket science that we're we're sharing here, but and people often think that they're not enough to make a change, but I say to to those people, you know, like a coffee cup, a takeaway coffee cup cannot be recycled because it's a mix of paper and plastic. So first of all, I'd love to ban things that we make that we can't do anything with, right? I'd love to stop that from happening. But anyway, I don't have the power in my hands for that. So what do I have the power to control? And that is to say, I won't choose to have a takeaway coffee cup. I'll have my own reusable and I'll go to cafes and support cafes that will support my reusable cup. And what I do as one individual is stop 365 takeaway coffee cups 
from going into the ocean. And then because I have a bit of a platform, I hope that I can encourage and motivate others to do the same. But even if they don't have a platform, people can just tell their friend, their partner, their husband, their wife, their children. And all of a sudden you see this massive knock-on effect just by making one small change. So it's like that mosquito in the room, you are enough to make a change. You must be just, uh, your hair must be just curling with, COVID in the coffee cup situation because no one, uh, they removed all the cup. And then this is now we've been since, um, you know, whatever, when COVID started and they took the coffee cups away. What, I, I mean, I, I don't know. What do you think about that? What's, does that upset you? <laughs> so we, um, it's really scary because I'm across, I'm a bit of a nerd in this space. So I read annual reports and scientific papers and all of that type of stuff. So I, I I'm ensure that the information we're sharing on ASRAC is basically scientifically proven, or I've got backup. And this, the previous year that just left, towards the end of the year, a paper came out that said cigarette butts are no longer the top item around found in urban and beach cleanups. Now it's, it's PPE um, and because of COVID and takeaway containers have now gone up from where they were. They were still in the top 10, but they were now one or two. Because people chose to stay in, they were on lockdowns. And so rather than going out and getting food delivered to their table, they got food delivered to their house and it's in plastic. Yeah. I would love to see, and I'm not, I know this is happening slowly in some cities and some countries around the world, that people are using reusable, that pl places like um, your Uber Eats and your, uh, your, your food delivery companies are willing to and are, in, are being encouraged to consider a reusable um, program where they, they are not only responsible for delivering the food uh, and the containers, but also responsible for the collection. And this is where we need to get to. We need to start holding not just, not just Uber Eats, I don't want to just focus on them, but all companies around um, this issue of plastic accountable for that circular economy so that there is a recovery. So in that, you know, we've got the refuse, reuse, recycle, recover should also be part of that. And, and I think the companies really need to be held account on that side of things. Is that catching on anywhere? Is anyone, I know there was a place and it's the name is escaping me that does do it in Abu Dhabi, but it's the only one I've ever found. Yeah, I, I I, I'm sure there has to be a trial process and for people to feel comfortable with it before they roll this, this stuff out. So we are speaking with companies about this and, and I've been quite surprised. It's actually been accepted. It's not being poo-pooed as a, oh, you're just a marine conservationist or an environmentalist and this is impossible. There, there's actually consideration there. They are taking this stuff seriously. For sure. I, I can't. Okay, I can't understand why I can't have a coffee in Starbucks in a cup because you can go into a restaurant. I don't understand that part. Yeah. I can go into a restaurant next door and drink out of a glass and eat off a plate. It doesn't really make any sense why the coffee chains, but I, I guess there's some, there's some reason. I just need to say yeah. that. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of um, uh, OH&S issues around COVID that the governments had to bring in as a way of protecting people from the spread of COVID. And of course, this, this um, uh, virus has been an ever-changing beast, really. Like people are still trying to get their heads around it. So I, I, it wouldn't surprise me that they went strong and tough to begin with because they, yeah. they really didn't know what they were dealing with. And I'd much prefer that our 
I mean, everyone thinks I'm a bit of a crazy person because I focus so much on protecting our oceans, but I am very much focused on ensuring our health. It's, it's the reason why I'm in it is mainly because I know we, we rely on our, our oceans for our own health. So I'm really grateful that the government actually are focused on our, the health of us as well. But we have to get a balance, health of people and health of the environment. And unfortunately, the past has shown us that the economic health and the health of people has been pushed up and the environmental health has been pushed down and we need to bring this up to bring it balanced. Right, like if the policy made sense in the early days, revisit it, like, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so PPE, I mean, just the sheer volume going in, I mean, you never would have thought that this would be something. Can you give us a sense like here in the UAE what we're talking about? Um, so I can I can tell you now that I I will we regularly go to um, Eastern Mangroves in in Anantara, Abu Dhabi, and along the promenade there I will find in two minutes 10, 10 PP uh, disposable masks. Uh, I can walk around my compound and I can't do a walk with my dog every morning without finding three PPP face masks. Um, I know in Hong Kong, uh, and there's this famous image of a, uh, it looks like a tree branch with all of these little PPE masks that are on this branch. Uh, they found 70 masks in the space, I think it was 100 metres or something along those lines. Don't quote me on that, it was around that. Um, after, after doing a, a cleanup already, like so just a week later, they went back and they found all of these masks already in this tiny, tiny couple of metres or 100 metres. Um, so I just, you know, I, I know personally that I can't go to a shop without seeing them in the car park. Um, I don't have numbers, but I know globally it's in the billions that we are using per month. Yeah. Yeah. Hundreds of billions per month. And I just think this is going to impact us for, you know, centuries. So it's not just the refuse. Can you just talk a little bit about what's in some of them? Like what's because it's the impact of the the material on the ocean that it ends up in so it's, not, it's, not, so it's plastic again so ppe is a, it's like a, a a plastic um mask uh again plastic threads um and it often look like plastic right it doesn't look like it kind of no but for me it feels like it like but i'm i yeah <laughs> And then you've got the plastic, usually, so you've got the plastic and then you've got the plastic um, uh, ear handles as well, right? So it fits on your face. So, and these are the things that often the birds will be wrapped around in, or you'll see marine creatures wrapped around in these ear handles. But also, too, um, I was going to say, we are breathing in. So the thing that I really worries me, and I, you will... Unless I've forgotten my mask and I have no choice but to take one and I'll wear it for as small amount of time as possible. You are now breathing in this, this microplastic straight into your, into your lungs. It's such an unhealthy uh, material to put over on your face. And for people to encourage, I just, I see people who promote the um, uh, face masks that are made out of recycled bottles as though it's a sustainable product. Yeah. I just, I just think, wow! I, I for me, it's it's so unmoralistic to do that. It's it's just immoral. So um, you use um, a, a, re a reusable mask. Yeah, out of, made out of a hundred percent organic cotton, and we use flannel fl filters as a way, as a natural filter that 
is on par and sometimes in some scientific studies better than what they found as the filtering systems in the in the surgical masks. It's interesting to hear you say this because in our current climate, it's very um, unpopular to talk about the fact that these masks have this problem. Like I know Kourtney Kardashian posted about it and she just got ripped like by everyone. Right. And, but other doctors have too. I mean, this is, no one's making this up. Like these masks have this, Material. you weren't meant to wear them all day. Yeah. You weren't meant to wear them. Mm -hmm. So I saw a organization promote their reusable masks for uh, children made out of single use plastic bottles. Um, and so I, I understand that yes, you've collected this material and you've repurposed it, which is a, an R that we support repurposing. But I, mm -hmm. to make it a product that you want to put on the faces of children, I just think that you haven't really thought that process through. And I made a comment. I did get some flack, but I just feel as though myself, like, as I said, I know this product very well out of yeah. all the research I've done. The, the plastics have been connected to reproduction issues, developmental issues, cancers, you know, and, and we, we're making it, we're advertising and marketing as though it's okay, it's a safe product to put, to put on children's mouths. And yeah. I just this you really haven't thought your 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 processes through if that's what you're putting up as a marketing tool for your organization it seems like if you recycle something people think it's great and healthy and they don't really think about you know it's like like what i you know i see running shoes with made from recycled plastic and i think is that a good idea like you know what yeah. i mean like that okay but just not yeah. not so for me, you, I think repurposing and recycling plastic, please, like if, as long as it's for good purposes. So the, the issue is where you're making it into a material for us currently, where you're washing yeah. it, where you yeah. have to wash it regularly for a t-shirt, right? That I would say that's just not, that's not great for what I do. It's not great for yeah. anybody really either. Because remember, every second breath that we take as humans comes from our oceans and our oceans are dying. Yeah. So we should be doing what we can to protect them. Um, but if you make it into a mat, into sunglasses, into right. you know, all these right. other, unless you have a, um, and some people do, a physical uh, issue with plastic on your skin. So some people can get psoriasis, for example, from plastic, then, then I wouldn't suggest wearing it at all, completely and utterly keep away from it. But like, if you can turn it into a mat, some people turn it into furniture, then, then sure, like that's a great idea. But turning it into something that's going to impact what we rely on for our drinking water, <laughs> how is, again, how have you, really, have you really looked at that thoroughly in terms of your marketing and your approach? Okay. How, I mean, I don't like to get, like, I am a downer on this subject. I'm the woman you wish you didn't start talking to at a party. Depre how depressed should we be like it's very depressing it if you can actually be. yeah so about the I'm, ocean so i'm a school diver and i still have hope knowing what i know and and seeing what i see underwater regularly um I, I have hope when I see things like the ocean cleanup that um, is being touted as a potential. It's not the solution because what they're doing is cleaning up the, the sea 
cleaning it, but then what do they do with that product afterwards? Yeah. So remember, I get so so if you think well, any any product that is cleaning the plastic or the debris, that has to be has to go somewhere. And currently this world is at 91% of waste being going into landfill or being burnt. Only 9% is recyclable of our waste, of our plastic waste. So they've got no choice usually but to put it back into landfill where it now gives off gases and now we're impacting the ozone layer. <laughs> so, but I still have hope because you have to go for these things first until you find out what's what's working and what doesn't work and then you make it better. Um, I, I have hope when we talk about bioplastics and, um, you know, avocado, making a, a product that feels and looks and, and, and is as, as light and, and as helpful as what plastic is because plastic, as much as I don't like what it does to oceans, it does have its benefits. So if they can find something that can provide those benefits and that is sustainable, then, then we've got a solution and we're getting there, but it, we just need technology to catch up. The problem is in 85 years of plastic being popular and commercialized, we've had such an impact on our oceans and on our natural environment. Um, and whether or not that's reversible, you know, only technology will, will tell and, and our future will tell. But I do have hope. I, I keep think, looking at all of these wonderful ideas that people come up with and I think we will get there. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. We, may be, we may be almost all plastic by the time it happens, but. <laughs> <laughs> but also, well, Joy, I, get, I get hope when I see countries ban single-use plastic items, yeah. you know? So like, you know, and then it comes again, how much can I control? Yes, it can be overwhelming because I work with in this space every day. But I also take heart in the fact that I know I play my role because I'm doing a role. I'm playing a role in doing something. I'm not just sitting on my hands doing nothing. And that's where we all need to get to, I think. Even though it can feel really overwhelming, just take that one change that you're not already doing, perfect that, and then bring in something else, you know? And so you just never know what changes you'll create. I didn't think that I would stop millions of plastic straws when I first came over to Dubai from circulation in the UAE every year. Amazing. It's amazing what you've done, Natalie. I'm really happy to talk to you. I feel some hope. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for talking about this. And good luck with the microplastics campaign. Uh, thank you so much. It's, we're, we're calling it the fashion campaign, but yes, so it's sustainable fashion. fashion. Campaign. So yeah. stay out for the fashion campaign, which you've only so far told me about. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> be on the lookout for that. Thank you yeah. so much. You're more than welcome. It's lovely speaking with you. That's it for this week. If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next time on the Live Healthy Podcast.